Hey there, and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for life and mission. And my name is Aaron Santemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Today we have with us on the podcast, Scott and Laura. They're the authors of the book, The Church Called Tove. And today we're going to sit down and talk about their newest book that's coming out, Pivot. And Pivot is a phenomenal book that gives us the insights. Um, and the, They talk about the priorities, the practices, and the powers that can transform your church into a Tove culture. And uh, Scott and I had the opportunity to sit down a few months ago and talk about the church called Tove. And I'm excited today that Laura was able to um, be with us. She's a school teacher. And so the last time that Scott and I um, sat down and had a discussion, she wasn't able to be there. But she's with us today. And I'm excited about it. It's a phenomenal uh, conversation, very insightful. They provide some great wisdom and they put a lot of time and effort and research um, into the topic and uh, just really appreciate their, just their love to see healthy churches, their love to see the church be good and, and see the church reflect the love of Jesus Christ. And so just a phenomenal time with, with Scott and Laura. One of the questions you'll see as we get in the middle of it, we're talking about what happens when um, things happen in a church, maybe it's toxic culture, something hasn't leadership or an incident happens. And sometimes I said, we go legal. And um, I should have asked Scott the question and I didn't. Um, He made a statement that the idea that we should have um, two psychologists for every lawyer when we're walking through um, one of these times. And and I should have asked, I wanted to ask the question, but I didn't. Um, So I followed up with an email and said, Scott, you mentioned that we should have two, one lawyer and at least two psychologists, that kind of ratio. And he, shared. He said, you know what? Lawyers um, tend to be high on the narcissistic scale and narcissists neither have good self-awareness or, or insightful perceptions about others. And when you're on a board or you're searching, one needs we need the intelligence of lawyers. We need their giftings and talents. At the same time, we need the skills and insights of psychologists. Um, and psychologists, they tend not to dominate boards and committees, but they're insightful. They understand how this is impacting people and they, they have a different perspective. And so I just thought that was insightful. I wish I would have thought that midstream, um, but um, I got off on another trail asking some other questions. And so just appreciate Scott and Laura spending some time with us, Value able to have them on the podcast. And once again, I am um, so thankful for the work they're doing to see the church and the church be tove. And that is the way that God is what desires for it to be. And um, they are, they have the courage to help move us in that direction. Do want to ask you to continue to send in your questions for back channel with Foth. That's where we sit down with Dick Foth and get to learn from him. My email will be in the show notes and uh, you can send those questions. And uh, it's always a fun time to be with him. I do ask you to subscribe to the podcast. I know the podcast that I subscribe to are the ones that I listen to. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. So excited to have with us today on the podcast, Scott and Laura. They are co-authors of the book, A Church Called Tove. And today we're going to get dive into the book, Pivot, their newest book coming out. Scott and Laura, would you go ahead and just share a little bit about yourselves before we jump into some of the questions? Sure. I'm a teacher by day. Um, I teach primary grade students, and I along I co-authored a church called Tove and our upcoming book Pivot alongside my dad Scott McKnight. In case you didn't know, he is my father, and um, I also co-wrote with him the children's version of the Jesus Creed and wrote a um, teacher's guide to go with the book. And I live here in outside the suburbs of Chicago. Thank you for having us. 
It's an honor to have you. Scott, will you just share a little bit about yourselves for maybe somebody who didn't listen into the first episode? Yes, I am uh, Scott McKnight. I am a professor of New Testament at Northern Seminary in Lyle, Illinois, which is a western suburb. And I have been, I'm in, uh, I guess I'm into uh, like my 41st year wow. as a professor. Wow. That's so, amazing. That is amazing. That is amazing. And when I quit teaching, I'll have time to write. <laughs> As we said early on, you uh, you are doing a lot of writing, and um, yes. it's a it's a we are we are thankful for it. Just want to you know the book, the Church Called Tove. I've shared that. Obviously, had it on the podcast. I've recommended it. Bought it for people. I lead um, groups. We call Delphos groups with different guys within the mission. We've went through the book, uh, processed it, prayed about it, been challenged by it. Uh, it's been received well in in my community. But how has the larger church community received the Church Called Tove? Um, the overwhelming response has been positive. Okay. But this is the way it works. People who don't like it don't tell us. Okay. They sabotage us privately behind closed doors because, you know, as, as uh, my wife said one day, it's positively evil, diabolical, mm. to say that Tove is bad. Wow. When wow. the word is good. So, and it's not that we think the book is infallible. It's just that the idea of a church called Tove is to nurture cultures in churches that do what is good. Mm. Oh, yeah. How can you be against that? I mean, if you are, there's something seriously wrong. So, um, so the criticisms, um, here's the way I put it, and Laura could have other, another answer. The only thing I've really heard that has been negative has been by authoritarian pastors who don't like the language that we've given people in their church to describe the toxicities. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. That's good. That is good. Yeah. I, I would have a similar answer. We've had, for the most part, it's been largely positive feedback. I don't read the reviews because I just don't, unless somebody sends them to me. And the only negative feedback that I have read has been personal attacks. And it's more like, what is a teacher doing writing a book about the abuse crisis? Um, and they, it was, it was more, it's more been personal like that. And we've, you know, whistleblowers are not welcomed with open arms into the community, you know, so we've had, we've had pushback even before the book came out, but mm. it's always been, I think my dad would say the same thing. It's always been bigger for me than that. Mm. If people are upset, well, okay. I still feel called and that this is something that needed to be said. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your courage, both of you. And um, thank you for having the courage. And like I said, there's been a lot of positive, and um, and that's uh, that's what I want us to focus on today. And excited about this new book, Pivot. So you can, can you share just a little. I really thought what I really loved about the church called Tove is there was a description of the challenge, and then you walked us through the Tove process, which to me was super valuable. And then this book, Pivot. Let's go with Laura. Laura, can you share the nascent story of of Pivot? So shortly after Tove came out. People after people had had read it and absorbed it and talked about it with church maybe churches amongst themselves, 
we started to get a question that became more and more frequent, which was, well, how do we, how do we do this? How do we take what we think is a a toxic culture and transform it into Tove? And initially I was not comfortable speaking into that. I thought (laughs) I literally would be like, I have no idea. (laughs) I don't know. My dad had more authority to answer that question at the time. Um, But it became more frequent. And so did questions like, um, what do we do if we see red flags or I'm building a church and I want it to have a goodness culture. And so that is where pivot started is by our attempt to answer those questions. That's exciting. It's exciting. And um, I think you mentioned powers, priorities, um, and practices. How did you get there? Three piece. Um, how did you, Scott, how did you come up with those three? <laughs> I didn't. You didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but neither did Laura. Here's what happened. Uh, we had, uh, I think, eight chapters, uh, something like that. And I would say to Laura, frequently, we could begin this book with any one of these chapters. So, you you know, an editor might look at that and say, this is disorganized, but they realized that each chapter played a part in the larger picture. So there was value. So if you start with, let's say, one chapter on, let's say, uh, one step at a time, then you have to, you know, the next chapters all have to build and, and work from that. But we had an editor who thought a list of eight chapters was not the best idea. And he, we were talking, Laura and I were talking to him right here on zoom or whatever we're on right now. I don't pay attention. I guess it's zoom. Um, We were talking to him and he came up with something like uh, priorities. And then I think he may have had another one and then couldn't come up with something else. And I I came up with the last P. I do know that. But it gave us, what it did is it shifted the eight categories into three in each, but we had to, I had to write another chapter. We had two themes. I think the theme of grace and the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. were in the same chapter. I'm not sure. I think they were originally. And then I split those apart into two different chapters. I think that's how it worked. But he helped us sort of break it into a little bit more manageable chunks. I think that's what happened there. Editors deserve deserve more credit than they get. (laughs) It was kind of like a silent part of it, but he really took, he really, he took our manuscript and made sense of it. Yeah, that's excellent. That's excellent. But Laura hasn't had a bad editor and I have. (laughs) I haven't. He was excellent, Steve. Yeah, he was really really good. He was really good. Good deal. Good deal. So your your hope and your love for the church, you know, I think that's a passion that when I read your books and hear you speak, you have this hope for the church. There's this idea that and there are there's toxic, toxic cultures out there. Um, people have been hurt, but you have this longing and desire for the church to be healthy and whole and good. Can you share where 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 that comes from and this desire for the church to be what God has called it to be? Well, my whole life has been in the church. Hmm. Uh, I've been in, working in a church at some level for 50 years. Yeah. So, um, and I believe in the church, and I believe the church is the body of Christ, and I was deeply influenced as a college sophomore by Dietrich Bonhoeffer 
in his mm-hmm. little book, Life Together and in the Cost mm-hmm. of Discipleship. Those books were deeply informing for me about giving up, especially, uh, um, it was called at the time, Cost of Discipleship. Now it just has Discipleship as the title. Uh, the idea that we have to surrender our wish dreams of what the church could be. The church mm. will never be perfect on earth. Mm. And he he sort of gave me the idea, and I don't know if I created the terms, I don't think they're from him, is the church should be seen as a hospital for sinners rather than a country club for saints. Mm. And um, so I don't think the church should be perfect, but I do think the church ought to be better than the world. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so... Um, I was never one who was spending my time criticizing the church the way we did in Tove. Hmm. We don't do this in Pivot. I, but I, that's not what I did. And so it was out of, out of character, in a sense, out of line for me to go in that direction. And that's why we also have the seven marks of, of Tove in that yeah. book, is that we moved in a, a redemptive direction. Yeah. So that's, I, I think the church is the body of Christ. Um, I think it is worth giving our lives for, and um, we have hopes that it can achieve more than what it is achieving. Yeah, for sure. Laura, would you have anything to add on that? Well, for me, it it be it was more personal. I would say, for us, we got involved in this when the Willow Creek story broke. Um, mm-hmm. Those of us out here in Chicago remember. A, tri- a Chicago Tribune article, the news- local newspaper, it was in March 2018, and the headline was something about Bill Hybels is being accused of harassing, sexually harassing women. And it was disorienting at first because we would hear Willow Creek elders and pastors say, oh, no, the women are lying. And then the women say, no, we're not lying. We're telling the truth. And it was really, it, it was for me, I, I guess, naively, I, I had not experienced that before. And I, it was like a ping pong ball. And I remember the horrible feeling that settled over me when I realized only one side is telling the truth. Mm-hmm. And whichever side it is, it's really disturbing either way. Yeah. Um. Now we know the end of the story, but watching how Willow Creek, and I mean specifically the pastors and the elders and some of the staff, treated wounded people. Hmm. It felt like we were watching a Christian, a church, ruin its witness Hmm. for that time and its Hmm. influence. And I'm not a theologian like my dad is, but I just, I felt like this is not what it should be. This is not who God is. God tells the truth and he cares about people that are hurting. He does not do to them what Willow is doing to these women. Yeah. That's how it started for me. Yeah. but And you've maintained your love for the church. I mean, through all that, seeing that you, you've maintained the love for the church. Is that, is that correct? Yeah. We all, we always felt like this isn't what Tove is like. Yeah. You know, I I know some people have, and I understand. You know, they've their faith was really shaken by the church because of um, the fall of Bill Hybels or James McDonald or any of the pastors that you've heard in the news recently. Um, I've never struggled with that. I felt like 
well, human beings are fallen and they're, they're sinful. They're going to make mistakes. It's not about, it's not about the, it's not how it should be. Yeah. That's good. That's good. It's not who God is. Yeah. And so in pivot, you give us these practices and priorities and and the, the, the things that we can do. And, and so what are some things when we look at a, what are one or two practices every church or organization could implement to move towards a Tove culture? Well, we talk about priorities, practices, and powers. We, yeah. You want us to talk about practices? Yeah, if you could, that would be great. Okay, a practice. Um, I will. Um, I'll address the uh, the second one, Laura. If you want to talk about one of the others, um, I had a. I was talking about this in a class one day, and a student says to me, "He's a pastor." He says, "You know how you move a piano." on a platform to the other side of the platform or the other side of the church? And I said, no. Evidently, it was a joke all pastors know. And I said, no, I don't know. He says, one inch a month. (laughs) And I thought, oh, that's about right. He says, if you try to move it in one week, you'll have everybody in the church mad. (laughs) If they never see a change, they won't ever say a word. Sure. Now, if you can't really do that across the a platform because then it's behind the pastor and then they're going to go, what's going on here? But um, one of the things that I learned uh, and and Laura and I learned this, but uh, I was confronted this by, uh, by a student in my class who has a PhD in organizational transformation. Um, He said that um, in organizational transformation, the standard studies that are used is that it takes, the standard studies conclude that it takes seven years for an organization to change its culture when the top leaders and the people have bought in and are committed to making the change. Wow. So so I think people need to realize they're in a long-term process. And the one thing that we talk about, one of the practices is one step at a time. Okay. Don't try to change your whole church from top-down, mean-spirited, power-mongering uh, to Mister Rogers' niceness. It's not going to happen like that. It's got to. You've got to kind of figure out what's going on in your church and say, "All right, we need to work on this area right now," hmm. and it could take months. Yeah, to come to terms with uh, exactly what what they need to focus on, and then trying to achieve that in the in the wider culture of the church. And Aaron, one of the issues is a church of fifteen thousand people does not have that kind of culture. Mm-hmm. But let's say you could do that in the staff who are on campus. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of people in a megachurch are just there, and then they leave. They're sort of like Bob Shuler's, old Robert Shuler's church, where they drove up and rolled down their window like they were in an outdoor theater. They were in an outdoor theater. Yeah. So that's that's one practice, one step at a time. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Another one we wrote about is build a coalition. And I think what's important before even getting into the building the coalition is identifying what the problem is. Okay. 
So we've based a lot of our research off of Edgar Shine. He is, um, who is he, Dad? He's a researcher. Yeah, My he's a professor a at Ma- MIT who <laughs> has spent yeah. his career in organizational transformation and working with major corporations and businesses and even uh, institutions. And I don't think he's worked with the church, but he could have on uh, understanding the culture and then what to do to help it uh, be transformed. So Laura. Yeah. He's a leading researcher. I had, my dad had a book. It was like about this thing. It it wasn't that thick. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Okay. An inch. It was okay. Fine. A half inch. It was, but it was dense and it was just full of organizational research. It was really, really good though. And we based, we based our, um, a lot of our research on what he wrote and, One thing that he says is really, really important is identifying exactly what the problem is. Yeah. So before you can form any plan for transformation, you have to identify where is it that we, where, where do we need to go? Where do we need to be? And so we, um, in pivot, we have what we call a Tove tool. It's like okay. a it's like a self-assessment. It's new, it's brand new. It's coming out with the book. And it helps. We're we're hoping that churches or groups or you know, Christian nonprofits, whatever, can sit together and hopefully it will generate really good conversations and it will help groups identify where their strengths are and where they need to what they need to work on. And from there, picking one, hmm. starting with one, and building a coalition of people that you trust and forming a transformation plan together. But I think it's really important to mention that assessment of what the problem is. Yeah. I probably sound like a teacher as I'm talking. No. It makes a lot of sense, you know, not yeah. just in education or in to Edgar Schein, but it makes a lot of sense. You have to know what the problem is before you can get started. Be able yeah. to identify what is toxic, what needs to change. Yeah, for sure. Well, the other thing about the, that is so important in Edgar Schein, and we learned from him, but he's talking about business in the corporate world mostly, and we're doing church, so everything had to be reconfigured. But one of the things that is so vital in him is, is to recognize that what is actually forming the culture in an institution is invisible hmm. and rarely expressed. So, hmm. for instance, a lot of megachurches, whether they will admit it or not, are shaped by competition with other churches. Okay. They will never admit that competition is driving the program. But they need to hear the truth of how competitive and how greedy and how ambitious they are in order to actually develop a character. And the ambition like this, in a negative sense, and competition do not produce Tove character. Hmm. They produce victors and losers. Hmm. Hmm. So... Hmm. So what would so what would so if competition and victors and losers, what would be some drivers for health in a church in a Tove church? Is that a fair question? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, Edgar Schein uh describes a pond 
uh, you know, with lily pads on the top. And then underneath the surface, he's got all this this culture that's forming. You know, you can't see it. Right. Unless you get down under the water and you don't stir up the dirt. All right. We chose a peach tree. Okay. Laura chose a peach tree, I think. I chose it's a because, tree. It's I chose because tree. I have it's because I have a peach tree <laughs> in my backyard. And my husband and I planted it 10 years ago when we bought our house. And we've never eaten it's never produced one peach. So I'm like, well, it's unhealthy. It's a really good illustration. <laughs> <laughs> it's got fungus on it branches fall off like oh, you know man. they grow to about this big and the squirrels yep. carry yep. so anyways <laughs> um <laughs> so um the we 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 changed the underlying surface to, into the dirt into mm. topsoil and on um one image is the dirt is composed of the manifestations of the flesh in Galatians chapter 5. Okay. And another image are manifestations of the fruit of the Spirit. Okay. So so we, we look at those sorts of things as, let's say your habit is love and your habit is kindness. Over time, the dirt, the, the nurturing of the dirt with kindness will produce fruit of kindness. Hmm. Uh, but it's below the grass, and you can't see it, and it's mm. hard to find it. That's why the Tove tool has mm. been developed, to give people opportunity to peer below the surface to see what's actually going on yeah. in their institutions. Sure. And is the Tove tool, is that something, because um, people are going to ask me why I didn't ask this question, is that something that takes days to go through? Is that something that takes 45 minutes to go through? Um, I know it would vary on the size of organization and how intense, but is this something a team would do in a day, week? Uh, yeah, just some thoughts or how you would envision it play out. It's going to be different for every organization. And we divided it. Initially, it was just a long list of um, questions to solve okay. the set. We ended up dividing the assessment, the tool, up into the different categories on our uh, circle of Tove. Okay. So, for example, there's questions about how empathetic are we? Um, mm. Do we nurture grace? Do we put people first? How are we doing at resisting narratives and telling the truth and justice and service and Christ-likeness, resisting the leadership culture? So each of those sections, it, it, I don't think it would take an individual that long to actually take the assessment, but the conversations are going to take sure. hours. Yeah. You know, it's going, it, yeah, it depends what you put into it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I would say the biggest mistake, I mean, this is not some test. It's not a psychological, sociological test that's going to produce anything like that. It's not normed. It doesn't have statistics in it, but um, the biggest mistake would be to have everybody take it in their offices privately and then gathering the answers uh, and then having the leaders decide what we're going to do about it. Hmm. That is not going to be effective, and it's, it's a top-down approach, and it is against the whole theory of building a coalition. Okay. So I would say that uh, the best way to do this is for, let's say, the segments or groups in an organization. Let's say the Sunday school teachers. Sure. Or the pastoral staff or whatever. You know, you, you're going to have different groups in different churches. Sure. And they take 
they spend an hour or two once a month going over one segment of these eight segments that we have. Okay. And at the end of that hour or two of conversation, have someone who can report in safety to some leader in the organization to say, this is what we talked about. Hmm. At that point, everything changes okay. to what can we do about this? Yeah. And my guess is that in most churches, every segment is going to take a month or two of conversation. Okay. So maybe a year to go through the TOEF tool. Okay. Well, that's, so it lets us know it's not a quick process, and it's something that takes contemplation, and it takes reflection, and it takes intentionality. Will those be three words that that I? That's how I would surmise what you're we're sharing. Will those be three fair yeah. words that you would that you would um that would include? Yes. And by pivot, we don't mean just like my dad said earlier, moving the piano on the stage. We mean, nor do we mean the friends episode where they're carrying <laughs> out of the stairs. <laughs> um, but we mean like deep transformational hmm. work, deep, hmm. deep work that can only be done through time and surrender and a willingness to engage with the truth. Yeah. Scott, you said in safety. That they can share. So I'm thinking about somebody that's in a church and um, or in an organization, and they don't have any power. They're not making administrative decisions. They recognize that they're in that there's some things that are not tov. Um, they sit down. They walk through th- their contemplation, intentionality. They're 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 they've really put time and effort into this, and they've prayed through it. They've asked God to speak to them, and the group as they've done the work. What does what does safety look like for them as they present what they've what they've worked on and developed? Just I, I'm thinking for them, so they would know what a what a fair expectation would be, and then also for leaders that are listening into this, how can they respond in a way that the other people feel safe? Is that is that a fair question? Because I'm just thinking yes. the practicalities of this tool. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, so that expectations of those that are doing it and those that are receiving it are at least talked about ahead of time. Because if not, that's where a lot of hurt or a lot yeah. of hurt could take place. Well, the um, the opposites of safety are retaliation and manipulation. Hmm. So people have to know when they go through the Tove tool that they get to be honest Mm. and transparent and that there will be absolutely no retaliation or manipulation of of them to change their mind or leave the organization. Mm. Um, This is where where truth-telling and the work of the Holy Spirit has got to be respected. And that is... This tool, we believe, can be used by the Spirit to speak to a different group, different groups in different ways about areas of toxicity in their church that need to be eradicated uh, Mm -hmm. and eliminated. Uh, But, you know, what we've learned, Laura and I have learned over the last, what is it? Is it three years since Tove came out? 2021. 
Yeah. Right? Yeah, two two years. Okay. So what we've learned, and this is really, I don't know how to talk about this, is that when pastors in general are confronted with allegations, they deny them. Hmm. The very people who preach forgiveness for confession are the ones most unwilling to confess. Hmm. Hmm. So you're dealing here with, um, this is potentially dynamite in an organization in both bad and negative ways. I just watched Oppenheimer, the new movie. Yeah. So I know what the atomic bomb more about it than I ever did before. (laughs) Um, this is the type of thing that can reveal some uh, unmask some toxicities for which the pastor would be responsible. Yeah. And what if the pastor says, or the people, the pastor says, well, I'm in his response that manip- you have, you have some quotes. Um, I've quoted you um, a few times on, I think the last time I had you on a podcast, imitation and emulation is better than information or something to that effect. Um, Scott, you shared that last time and I've, I've, I've quoted you a few times on it, um, but that idea that the opposite of safety is um, manipulation and retaliation. Uh, I think that's what you said. So what if a, a, a leader says, well, that's I'm just giving you feedback. It's not manipulation and retaliation. I'm just giving feedback. Would you be willing to go a little deeper on what the difference, what would feedback look like from a leader um, when they receive this in a Tove healthy culture? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, here's number one is timing. Okay. If, for instance, I say to you as a leader, um, uh, you use intimidation and fear to keep people in line, and next week I'm called in to human resources and they start, let's say, reassign me for job. That's called retaliation. Okay. And the timing is indicative of retaliation. Okay. Manipulation is an attempt uh, to use people psychologically and emotionally to change their viewpoints in order to gain approval by those with authority and power. Hmm. All right. So um People just have to be discerning to see what they are. Now, one of the major things that uh, Laura and I have learned in the last two, three years is that impact is more important than intent. Hmm. In other words, if the employee, the person with less power, feels like they're being intimidated They are being intimidated. Okay. The pastor can't say, well, I didn't intend that. Well, they they all do say this. I didn't intend that. Well, okay, you probably didn't intend that, but that's how I experienced what you said. Hmm. And we need to respect the impact of policies, of decisions, of comments, as much as the intent of the person who made the comment. Okay. 
That's good. Sorry, that was that was off off script, but it was as I'm processing the tool and thinking about the tool. These are some things that have come to mind, and I will probably get some emails if I don't ask them. So I, I hope it was okay to ask that one. So That's fine. Anyway, um, no, I just I just I'm, I'm interrupting, going off script mm-hmm. here too. And I work in the field of education, and every year we have to go through harassment training, mm-hmm. and every year we are taught through video, like it's like a 25 minute presentation and quiz and questions, we are taught that it's all in the eye of the one who received Hmm. the, like the harassment. So why aren't we doing that? We're doing this in education, you know, Um, the power is all given to the victim, if you will, where it seems in Christian organizations, including churches, that's all turned around where the power is not with the victim. The power is with the person, the perpetrator. Yeah. Yeah. Education is farther along in this than the church world. And my challenge in the last few months is this, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong on my thinking and I might be, but I've thought a lot about it in the church. We say we live by the code of, we live by Christ and the ethical code of Jesus Christ and and the God's word. But when it comes to these type situations, a lot of times we begin to talk about the law and legal. And and in my understanding is ethics and the, and the following Christ would be above the law and legal codes and all that kind of stuff. But when anytime there's these things within the church, we, we seem the church, in my experience, will start talking about the law and legal things rather than saying God has called us to live above that and live like Christ. Is that a fair line of thinking or is that just a West Virginia boy who's got it wrong? No, it's absolutely right. When allegations come forward, one of the first things that happens is the leaders of an institution go legal. Yeah. They begin to process not so much whether there's a crime committed, but rights. Mm. They start thinking about rights. They start thinking about damages to the institution. Uh, We just had, we just went through this at my seminary and, um, one of our employees filed lodged allegations against the president. And um, in the process, there was discussion of whether this could become a lawsuit and everything turned into what was legal and what was a crime. And they were no longer asking whether something was done wrong. Hmm. And it ruined the entire process. Hmm. Ruined it. Hmm. So I've learned a lesson, and that is when you, when you're in a church, you have a church board for every lawyer on the committee. You better get two psychologists uh, to compensate for the uh, for the dominance of legal categories. There is a distinction between what is right and what is legal, hmm. and when it's reduced to what is legal, you can often. Uh, avoid uh, disclosing what was wrong. Wow. That's, I could go 20 different directions, but I won't take your time on that one, but that was excellent. So we, we have many people that listen in our vision within the, the mission of Africa that I work within is to plan a healthy church within walking distance of every African. That is our Mm. goal. And that's what we, that's, that's what we live by. Um, All things going that way. So many people are planting churches. 
What are some things when we look at there? It's a new cult. They have the opportunity to start fresh. What are some things that you would think as you've written this book on pivot? Um, you you've given people this tool. Is that something they could use in the beginning, or maybe some words of wisdom to people there beginning to beginning in the beginning stages of planning a church? We talked to some church planners just last week, and we've talked to groups of them along the way. And to me, this is the most exciting group because you're not, of course, because we're all humans, there's always going to be toxicity, but you have the, you have the opportunity to build from the ground up. You're not, it's not as though you're coming to us saying, you know, we have a narcissistic pastor, there's power abuse, there's, you don't have those those elements in your culture yet because you're building the culture. So you, we use a peach tree metaphor in the, in the book. And we talk about building and nurturing your soil. You're nurturing your soil now and you get to put into it. What is Tove? Hmm. That's good. Okay. I would, I would say uh, what we, we talk about three things and the priorities and I think these would be the ones that would apply most to church planners. Okay. Number one, focus on character development. Let's say we usually call this in the Christian church spiritual formation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Focus on character, not on numbers, not on how much money, not how big the building, but on character. Okay. And this will be a lifetime with every person in the church. Okay. <laughs> Second thing is, uh, may uh, start thinking very early about power and how power can be used redemptively in the organization rather than authoritatively. Hmm. All right. So power is going to matter a lot. This is one the biggest complaint, hmm. other than sexual abuse, which is a form of power, of course. But in the, in the last three years, two years that Laura and I have, since we've written Tove, the biggest complaint is power abuse by leaders. Hmm. And it's constant. I would say it's 90% of the complaints that we hear. And we were hearing three to five stories a week for 15 months. So so we have a lot of stories to tell. I mean, actually, we, we've forgotten most of them. And we can just synthesize them into a blender and say power abuse is a big issue. The third one is, is every person, especially leaders, need to envision themselves as an example of the kind of character and the use of power that that church wants to uh, embody. Hmm. Wow. So I used, here's the line that you were looking to quote from me. Education is more about emulation than information. There you go. And that's exactly what we're talking about here, is that you want to have people who are, you know, like students will say to me that we focus on our church. We ask the question, are you worthy of being imitated by other people? Hmm. That's quite a question. That is. And uh, that could, yeah, for sure. And so power... So in a, in a healthy church planners, you talked about the, the priorities. What would a healthy power, as a power balance is probably not the right word. What would that look like? Healthy power is using, so we all have power. Diane Langberg talks about this because we're all, you know, we're all human. So we all have power, which 
I believe she defines, sorry, my dog is barking. I believe she defines it as um, the ability to influence other people. And we all have that ability. So the question becomes, how are you using your power? Are you using it to power over other people and threaten and intimidate them? Or are you using it to like the way Jesus did, where he cared for other people and gave it away? Yeah. Yeah. One, I got one last question for you. You, you share that the transformation is never easy. And we've talked about that. I, I think the theory of change, I used um, Everett Rogers for a lot of my doctoral work. And that's the one of diffusion diffusion of innovations. I think that's Everett Rogers and and his theory of change and walking through that. But talking about shine, um, as you have used as the model, um, what if it takes for the next generation, we want to see this change take place where the church is more like Tove. There's less toxic cultures. There's more Tove cultures. But it, it as you said, it takes time. It takes energy. It takes effort. Do you have any words of encouragement for leaders and those in the churches to say, hey, we want to put the effort and time into this for the next generation? Any words of encouragement? Well, um, I, I think I would say to pastors, leaders, church planners, um, you're going to have a lot of good people in your church. Hmm. Uh, do you recognize the people with good character or not? And and start nurturing those kinds of people in your church to become the sort of the models of what you're doing. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a church can be ruined by just stupid things, you know, a bad decision um, that suddenly just unravels in numerous ways. Um, so you can't live. I don't think you can live with that fear. I mean, I tell I tell my students all the time. Everything you say could be on Twitter, so be careful with what you're doing. <laughs> and uh, our X is going to be called now. I'm going to say, is it called uh, X now? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, I would say um, recognize that most of the people in your church, the vast majority, are going to be good people, innocent people who can be very helpful for the church, but listen to them, value them, honor them, and you're going to be fine. Yeah. It's just going to take time. Yeah. It's good. It's good. Laura, anything to add there? I don't think so. Okay. Can that do. was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to, I want you to tweet that right there. <laughs> 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 that one is a that's the tweetable quote from today uh, for sure so that hey, was perfect we normally end the podcast in prayer could i ask one of you to pray or both of you can pray um however you'd like for us but i just like to end the podcast in prayer praying for those listening in that we will take the challenge we'll use the the work and effort and time that you've put into this the tool that you've developed for us it will use the intentionality and the, and the contemplative process through prayer um, to, so we can move more towards Tove cultures. And um, this will not just be knowledge that we we have, but something we put into action and that we have the um, the uh, courage to do this for, for our generation, honestly, and for the next generation. Um, you know, I, I think the only way to change the past is to to change the present because today will tomorrow, today will be the past. 
And so if we can begin changing today, um, we can look back on a past that we um, are, um, that we value and that we honor and that we're, if, I don't, maybe pride's not a right word, but we can look back and say that, that Christ was in that. And by changing today, um, that's, that's my hope. And uh, for the message of this pivot, what a valuable resource you've given us. So would one of you pray for us or both of you, however you'd like to do it. Go ahead, Dad. Okay. Father, we know that you are Tove, that you are the designer of Tove, and that you want everything that you have created and all the people that you've created to reflect your Tove character, to become people of Tove. So we ask that your spirit would empower us, that your grace would transform us, and that your son would chart before us the path we need to follow into living into Tove, um, and that we can make the pivots that we need to make in order to glorify you in how we live and how our churches uh, work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.